Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, October 24th, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 146, starting with the first paragraph as a class alcoholic, reading through four paragraphs ending with has been well discharged already. And comments will be on all. Today's readers are Maura Z, Jen A, and Susan H. Share ID for Tuesday, October 23rd, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting is 12,085. For the 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, it is 12,086. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence in the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Cordelia W. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Cordelia W. from Florida. I'm reading the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove all our shortcomings, to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Cordelia W. I will now ask Naomi B. to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, and thank you for your service. Good morning, family. This is Naomi Bailey, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted service. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issue, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based upon attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communications. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass. Thank you, Naomi B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book and we're on page 146 starting with the first paragraph as a class alcoholics reading through four paragraphs ending with, has been well discharged already. Comments will be on all. I will now ask Maura Z to begin reading. Thank you, Jules. Maura Z, Recovered in Virginia. As a class, alcoholics are energetic people. They work hard and they play hard. Your man should be on his mettle to make good. Being somewhat weakened and faced with physical and mental readjustment to a life which knows no alcohol, he may overdo. You may have to curb his desire to work 16 hours a day. You may need to encourage him to play once in a while. He may wish to do a lot for other alcoholics, and something of the sort may come up during business hours. A reasonable amount of latitude will be helpful. This work is necessary to maintain his sobriety. After your man has gone along without drinking for a few months, you may be able to make use of his services with other employees who are giving you the alcoholic runaround, provided, of course, 
they are willing to have a third party in the picture. An alcoholic who has recovered but holds a relatively unimportant job can talk to a man with a better position. Being on a radically different basis of life, he will never take advantage of the situation. Your man may be trusted. Long experience with alcoholic excuses naturally arouses suspicion. When his wife next calls, saying he is sick, you might jump to the conclusion he is drunk. If he is, and is still trying to recover, he will tell you about it, even if it means the loss of his job. For he knows he must be honest if he would live at all. He will appreciate knowing you are not bothering your head about him, that you are not suspicious, nor are you trying to run his life so he will be shielded from temptation to drink. If he is conscientiously following the program of recovery, he can go anywhere your business may call him. In case he does stumble, even once, you will have to decide whether to let him go. If you are sure he doesn't mean business, there is no doubt you should discharge him. If, on the contrary, you are sure he is doing his utmost, you may wish to give him another chance. But you should feel under no obligation to keep him on, for your obligation has been well discharged already. And I'm going to start my timer now. Oh, my goodness. So I don't know if I was ever in a position, um, I don't know if my supervisors, my managers were ever considering discharging me because of my compulsive overeating. So on that point, I really can't relate. I can, however, relate to the section where he may wish to do a lot for other alcoholics and something of the sort may come up during business hours. A reasonable amount of latitude will be helpful. This work is necessary to maintain his sobriety. I, I have taken many, many, many OA calls while working. And when I was in an office, um, I often, if I didn't have privacy in my office, I often took my phone and walked outside the building. And I remember doing so in 110 degrees with 99% humidity, and I remember doing so in 22 degrees with a wind chill of four. It didn't matter. If someone needed to talk, and I was able to take the call in the middle of my workday, I would. But there were other times when I had to not take the call and text right back and say, I can't call, I can't talk right now. Um, you know, try me in an hour or what have you. Um, that was hard for me from an ego point of view. Because when it was early on and I was Miss OA and I could do everything, thought I was all that in a bag of chips, I felt I was supposed to take that call. But through working the program, through working with my sponsor and realizing I have my responsibilities first and to, to, to put my job in jeopardy would serve no one, would serve no one. So I had to use discretion. Uh, but when I could, I did. I took those calls. And today I still take those calls. Today I'm self-employed 
And if I'm on the job and I see a call come through and I have a minute to take a call and say, I can't talk now, I will. And if I don't have a minute, I can't take the call, but I have automatic texts ready to go. So I just make one click, close my phone, get back to work. I have to remember that I must carry the message in all I do in my whole day whenever it is feasible, whenever it doesn't jeopardize my current situation. And I'm grateful for the other side, for when people answered the phone when they were at work. And, um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Morrissey. So um, we are on page 146, starting with the first paragraph, as a class alcoholics, reading through four paragraphs, ending with, has been well discharged already. And who would like to share on these paragraphs? Katie G. from Boston. Katie G. This is Larry. Larry Kay. Anita B. I'm sure there's oh Anita B. Let's take three more. All right, well we'll start with this group. Katie G, Larry K, and Anita B. Go ahead, Katie. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, my friends. And I was really struck. I got totally caught on this first paragraph. I'm an energetic person. I work hard. I play hard. Katie, we can't hear you very well. Oh, there you go. Why don't you try again? I'm sorry. Julie, can you hear there me you... now? Yeah, now I can. Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. Okay. Let me start again. Um, okay, so I was really struck by this first paragraph about being an energetic person and working hard and playing hard. Um, and for me, when I put the food down and got recovered, um, it really was a whack-a-mole game. And I and I thought I remember talking to a woman early on, and she's like, "Well." I need to look, watch out for excitement. And I'm like, lame, I'm such a fun person. <laughs> and I got high. I, I graduated from grad school and I had like three jobs and I was working all the time and then I was trying to do program all the time and really not um, living a life of balance. And I don't operate under a delusion today that I can control my life and balance it. Um, but I really got out of balance. And, and what it required me to do is I hit a wall. I hit a really, really bad wall of, oh, my gosh, I don't have the energy to work 16 hours a day. And I can do this. It's all about my ego, right? Like when I'm afraid that I'm not good enough, I do things to excess. Like I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've got to work all the time or I've got to do this all the time. I, you know, I've got to have, you know, if, if one sponsee is good, then 10 is better. If one phone call is good, then 100 is better. And really looking at all of the ways in which I can use my excitement, my energy as a drug, like as a way of kind of creating chaos in the world as a recovered woman. And I'm really, um, thank you, God, coming into understanding that that's, really not being of service to anybody. It's not being of service to you all. It's not, if, if I'm, you know, burning up energy foolishly, um, trying to arrange life to suit, to suit myself, 
you know, I do need to ask God for balance. And it's not about me cognitively thinking, okay, how can I balance, you know, all of my program? How can I balance my role as a mom? How can I balance the things I need to do for my husband? Like, I really do today. It's program family job. And I ask God to show me and mold me. And I take that quiet time. And I ask myself questions like, God, if I go to do this, if I go to answer this fifth phone call, are you going with me? Like, am I doing this because I need, you know, I need that hit of being the only person, right, in OA that's going to be answering her phone? No, that's probably not the best motive, right? Like, if I, am, am I, or am I going to show up as a spiritually fit person? And I'm not saying, like, obviously, my primary purpose is to stay absent and help other women today. But I need to be careful of, of overdoing it, and I need to watch out for excitement. That's the first thing in step 11 that we're looking for. So I'm just grateful to continue learning shoulder to shoulder with all of you all, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie D. Next, we have Larry K. and Anita B. Thanks, Julie. Well, I hope this doesn't sound cheesy, but I, I really love you guys, I tell you. And it probably does sound cheesy, but that's okay. Um, he may wish to do a lot. Uh, for other alcoholics, this work is necessary to maintain a sobriety. You know, um, we do have to find balance, like Katie said. You know, but e e at the same time, each of us has a unique part to play in the healing of the world, right? We're not going to heal the whole world, but we do have a unique part to play, right? And especially as people with this disease, we, you know, we simply cannot shrink from this responsibility and, uh, we, you know, we may ask ourselves, you know, who am I, who am I, you know, carrying such a powerful message of hope to another person's suffering because I'm woefully inadequate to do this. And besides, you know, besides what if it doesn't work for them and, and I let the fear creep in. And actually, the better question for me to ask is, who am I not to be <laughs> carrying this message because I'm a child of God and, and playing it small as sometimes I I want to do doesn't serve anybody, you know, am I shriveling from my responsibility out of fear of inadequacy? Sometimes, sometimes. See, sometimes I have a file in my mind, you know, and it's called, that file is called all the crap that can go wrong. That's the file in my mind. And I'll tell you, there's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure about you. There's, no, there's nothing, nothing good from that about shrinking just because I'm afraid that other people will feel insecure around me. In, quite, in fact, quite the opposite. We were born to let God's light shine through us. And, you know, God gives me the courage to know that I'm, you know, that I'm more than enough. I'm more than enough. It's okay if I share. It's okay if I take calls. It's okay if I speak. It's okay then we're liberated from our fear and we stay sober. Yes, we stay sober and that's the deal. But I also get the gift of, of shining through because I want to bear witness to what God has done for me so that maybe you see through me what he can do on your behalf. That's why I do it. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Anita B., you're next. Hi, Anita B. from New Jersey. Um, so this is kind of, I can see this on both sides, what we were reading. I think maybe I'm on the wrong track, but I worked for a grocery store before recovery. And I was so that employee you couldn't trust because 
we found ways to get as much food as possible the cheapest way. Um, when I did a thorough fourth step, I had to make amends to that store because I was not a good and faithful employee. Uh, but then, you know, thank God I was able to see my ways. And now I'm not in the grocery store anymore. And um, I am recovering. And I know now how important it is for me to take phone calls and even make them if I have a chance at work because I need that every day or I won't be able to help. I need to help others in order for myself to stay well. And uh, so I'm working on that right now and it's it's kind of hard for me to call new people and do that and um, know if I'm doing it right Oh, always worried about being perfect. But uh, grateful to be here today, and thanks all of you for being there. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Anita B. And for those who might have just got on the line, we are on page 146, starting with the first paragraph as a class alcoholics, reading through four paragraphs, ending with has been well discharged already. And who would like to share on these paragraphs? Kanessa K. Kanessa K. Anyone else? Jen A. Jen A. Kelly, Kelly R. Kelly R. Beth W. Beth W. Nancy P. All right, that'll be our lineup. Okay, we have Matt M. Knessa K. Jen A. Kelly R. Beth W. And Nancy P. And if you're not Matt M., please make sure you're muted. Go ahead, Matt. Can you hear me, Julie? I can. Thank you very much for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Madame Agapostlova, Eater calling from New Jersey. Yeah, I wasn't sure I was going to share today, but there's something I do want to get out. I'm actually looking to get back into the workforce, and uh, I'm abstinent doing it this time. Most of the time when I was working in the past, I, w- I didn't even have a program. I wasn't abstinent for the longest time, and uh, I haven't worked in over 11 years. And uh, that's, there's a lot of fear that's coming with that. But there's also I'm also trying to have faith because, you know what, uh, someone told me, if not this, then if not this, God, then something better. You know, if I don't get, I'm going to an interview today, and that's what I'm getting ready for. I got up early, took my shower early, and I hopped in the meeting, and I'm going to have my breakfast, and I'll be ready, for, I'll be ready to go before my job, my job coach, who's an employment specialist, picks me up and takes me to an interview. And I'm just going to surrender the results to God. I'm going to suit up and show up. I'm going to get prepared as best as I can. Look nice, dress well, act the part, and just give my give the rest of the results to God because it's out of my hands. There's nothing physically I can do other than the fact of being being there, answering the questions, being there, being present, and showing up. The God, the rest of it's in God's hands. And if, and if somebody told me, said, "Say this to yourself: If not this, then something better, God." And I'm grateful for the person she taught me that. And uh, that's exactly what I'm going to do today because you know what? I, I'm, I'm grateful for the gift of abstinence, but I want to bring something to the employment. Yes, I need the money, but I want to bring something to the place I um, get a job at, not take. You know, the only thing I'm going to be taking is my paycheck, but I want to be bring, I want to bring uh, a, a good, good working relationship with the people I work with. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Knessa K. Followed by Jen A. Good morning. Thank you, Julie. Knessa K. Recovered in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I'll share very often, but there was something that really popped out at me this morning. First paragraph, you may have to curb his desire to work 16 hours a day. 
I always joke with my friends, and and they know this about me. Um, there are two words that are really not in my vocabulary, and that's moderate and simple. Um, I am hardwired as an addict to work 16 hours a day. Um, now, since um, you know becoming recovered and one day at a time, some days more than others. Um, in, in this mind of mine that, that is just a state of mind, right? I mean, this is just a change of heart, a state of mind. And trying to take this program into all of my affairs. And I have found, and it's very interesting to me, for those of us who are in the program who are women and we are working full-time, career-minded, working mothers, trying to balance the program, um, our careers, our marriages, um, our children. You know, we live in this world of organized parenting. So, uh, you know, this isn't the way it was in the 70s, 80s when I was growing up when, you know, we put our kids outside and we let them run around and they come back in at the end of the day and we can make a couple of calls. You know, trying to balance this and take all of, what you guys have taught me, and I'm so grateful for everything you have taught me into all of my affairs and to try to make sure that I'm not trying to pack more into the stream of life. These paragraphs teach me that after someone becomes recovered, they want to feverishly work harder at the program and at their jobs because their mind is more clear than it's ever been. For me, I'm at a body weight that I've never experienced. And so I can pack more into the stream of life. And I'm what I'm reminded as my husband's on the West Coast and I'm a single driver this week with um, activities, you know, to stop, to pause again and to remember, you know, why I do what I do every morning between 4.30 and 8.30 um, to put on my suit of armor so that as I go out into my 16-hour work day to balance all these things that I take you guys with me. Um, every day. And even though I'm exhausted when I hit the pillow, what this program has taught me and what I'm learning is that it's just one day at a time. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Knessa Kate. Next, we have Jen A, followed by Kelly R, Beth W, and Nancy P. Go ahead, Jen. Good morning, Julie, and thank you for your service. This is Jen A, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic from Littleton, Colorado. Um, so, how I used to be like. So um, I'm just remembering, you know, like I used to march to my own beat and um, I used to stomp all over others and I used to do what I needed to do to get to where I needed to be. I did work hard and I did play hard. And I, um, so I love that we're talking about this because today um, there's a different um, kind of what, what you all are calling balance and um, what I'm finding to be in my life is more of a rhythm. Um, and I've just been talking um, to others about this in the last seven days. And, and what does it look like? Balance to me is up and down, up and down, sharp, right? It's these big, strong, um, sharp um, highs and these low lows. And that's what life used to be like, up and down, up and down, like a crazy-ass roller coaster. Today, it's more like a symphony, 
right? Um, it's this rhythm, and there's all these different instruments in the symphony that make this beautiful music. Um, and each, each, each instrument comes in in its own timing. It has its own sound, um, and it makes for beautiful music. And what I'm also reminded of in this symphony is that there is somebody who's conducting it. And there's somebody who's in charge of the symphony, right, and making sure that the oboes get in when the oboes get in and the drums beat at the right time and just cueing everything and bringing it all together. And for me today, I find that that's God and program for me. That um, if I'm looking um, to find, um, you know, just a beautiful rhythm um, in my program and in my life, um, then I've got to look to the conductor. I've got to see what should I be doing and how much I should be doing, which phone calls I should be picking up, um, who I should be meeting with. I've got to look to God for all of that, right? Um, I've got to look in for his clues and his cues. Um, and, and today, um, I'm seeing that happen more and more. Before, I used to just get overwhelmed and crazy. Um, but today, as I pause, um, as I go along in my day, I'm just finding God and asking God, God, who do, who do you want me to talk to? How do I need to be? And taking my cues from the, from the big conductor of this whole production. And I'm finding that um, when I do this, the music is absolutely beautiful in life. And that's what I love about program today is the spiritual solution as a result of these steps is just absolutely beautiful and amazing. So um, if, you're, if you're feeling unbalanced and, and your hard heart is hard and your soft soft is soft and you're looking for that balance, um, I, I feel like um, my, my findings is that if I lean into God and I look to him um, for all the cues on how I'm supposed to be every minute of every day, it makes life a little bit easier. Not easy, but I'm going to keep doing it. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Jenny. Next, we have Kelly R., followed by Beth W. and Nancy P. Go ahead, Kelly R. Hi, it's Kelly R. Can I be heard? Yes. Great. Thank you. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm so grateful for recovery and for this meeting. I'm newer to the meeting, not to OA, and um, I'm getting a lot out of it, and I just appreciate all the shares, and I'm excited that it's coming to, it, it's amazing how meaty it's been with the uh, talking about to the employer. I've been um, the employer and I've observed uh, folks in a food stupor, the brain fog, just not connecting, not really able to do much. And the physical limitations of this disease. And um, I've also experienced the food fog in my own life. And then getting recovery and getting clarity. And, um, and then getting, getting so enmeshed in wanting to serve and give back. Because just being so grateful for the physical recovery, for the the spiritual recovery, just a brand new baby. And um and then somehow getting into, oh, I must be God's gift to the fellowship, you know. And I'm so important and I need to be heard on every meeting. And um I remember this gal outreached me one time, she said, <clears throat> 
I thought you were running the, that whole um, program because I, I heard you on every single meeting. I thought you were in charge of it all. I just thought that was hilarious. But I always had to do service every day. Was I leading the meeting? Was I timing? Was I behind the scenes moderating? Was I speaking? You know, and a million sponsees and and on every intergroup meeting and, oh, let me be the secretary, you know, all that. And it's amazing now how small my world really is. Um, I find it doesn't work out well for me to take too many calls during my workday because I only have so many hours allocated to work and then I'm spending time with family in the evening. If I don't accomplish those things, I end up with unhappy clients and um, and less money as a business owner. So I have to make sure that I'm using my time wisely and not debting to myself um, by feeling like I need to solve every problem that comes across my phone. And I like what I heard about the automatic text reply and, um, you know, scheduling that time to talk. And when somebody has an emergency and they're going to pick up, um, there are other people out there. And I know I've been that person where I've had to make 20 calls and it was so good for my program to do that. And um, I'm grateful for a face-to-face meeting here in Branson that I helped start almost two years ago. And um, just the the fellowship as a whole and discovering okay. this meeting, thank you, has been a treasure in my life. And I'll pass. Thank you, Kelly R. Beth W. followed by Nancy P. Hi, this is Beth W. from North Dakota. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Thanks. Um, thanks for calling on me today. Um, I'm a compulsive overeater, grateful to um, be absent just for another day. Um, I am so grateful for this section and that paragraph on page 146 that um, you may overdo, you may have to curb his desire to work 16 hours a day, you may need to encourage him to play once in a while. Um, I, have a, I have a job that um, I'm on call every day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day um, right now, and that, um, that just makes it hard for me to unplug and not, not work. And my nature is that I work all the time anyway. So I've been striving toward balance in work, and I um, appreciated what another fellow said about rhythm instead of balance that um, that really spoke to me. But um, I always felt guilty when I played. I always thought that that was frivolous, um, and um, I didn't know how to do that. Um, I came from a family where work was valued and play was silly. so. Um, I'm learning how to do that. I'm learning how to just take time and unplug and put my phone away and know that um, most of the calls that come in are not urgent. Um, some are, but most are not. And I can um, I can return those calls in a, you know in an hour or two hours or whatever. And um, and I can unplug and and rest and play. Um, and I just have to teach myself to do that. And I'm grateful for a program like this that has it in black and white, that that's an important thing to do to maintain um, sobriety and, and life and, just, and learn to live and let, um, let my God lead my life um, and not get frustrated when my own plans and schemes fall through. 
which they do frequently. <laughs> and I'm learning that. So um, I'm grateful for this, uh, this meeting and, and all the wisdom that's shared here every day. So um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Beth W. And Nancy P., you're next. Can I be heard? Yep. Yes, can I be can. heard? Okay. Sorry about that. I cut with my pants down there. Anyways, um, when I first went back to work after my kids um, went, went to school and were launched out of the house, I, um, I interviewed for a job that I still have. And um, my boss said, tell me, it was part-time at the time, and he said, tell me why a part-time job appeals to you. And I said, well, I have two young children, and I need to be available and all that. And he, you know, unlike the native Bostonian, he said, oh, I'm so supportive. You know, whatever you need, I, you know, I really want you. And, um, you know, we've had a happy marriage ever since then. And, um, you know, but I was still completely crazy, even though I, you know, was nominally a member of OA and going to meetings and stuff. And my whole, you know, 40-plus years, nearly 50 years in program before Vision, um, I rarely sponsored anybody. And I would listen at meetings and people would say, oh, you know, my sponsees are the gift of my life. And, you know, it just helps me so much. And, you know, I was bored with that because that wasn't, you know, I didn't see where that was going to help me. And, you know, when I was finally beaten down to, you know, my knees and desperate and I finally get into vision and I got this sponsor, she, in the course of our, our work, she said, you know, sponsoring should pinch. It should take up time. And, you know, in that first interview, when I talked to my boss, I said, you know, I have an addiction and that is work. And the first step in overcoming any addiction is saying it out loud. And, you know, you know, I recently, this is the first year, 10 years later that I've worked until five o'clock and it's kind of a shock to me. And, um, um, you know, I, I'm slogging through and I'm, you know, I think I'm doing a good job. He thinks I'm doing a good job, but, you know, I have had to say when I get calls, I used to think I couldn't not take them. I couldn't say, you know, text, uh, I'll call you back, or I can't talk right now, or whatever. I used to think that I couldn't do that. Now I know that I have to do that sometimes. And similarly to what somebody else said, there are, it does force people to make other calls. And, um, you know, the balance for me is now I do sponsor, and it does pinch a little bit, because I got a lot to do in my life. You know, I call it second shift, you know, starting my sponsor at 930 at night. That's the only time I can. But, um, you know, it has turned into the gift of my life. And I can say, too, that, um, you know, as far as getting other, um, you know, getting other things, you know, doing more in program is I chase spirituality. I, I recently made a commitment to somebody to have a committed 30-minute call with her once a week to talk about the big book. And, you know, I'm going to be going, you know, doing other things of that nature to help myself and also sponsoring and going to meetings. And I can say today that, you know, I, I certainly have been, had a lot of trouble professionally because of my disease. Um, you know, it's not like showing up staggering drunk, you know, legless like that. But, you know, we all know what, what it means to be, you know, drunk with what we do. And um, that doesn't happen anymore. And I've been recognized and praised for, you know, for my work ethic and my pro productivity and my general demeanor. So, um, and I consider that to be all because I went through the steps again. I'll wrap up. And thank you all so much for being here. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Nancy P. And who else would like to share on the paragraph that we read? Barbara E. Barbara E. Linda D. from Connecticut. Linda D. 
for the reading this morning? Page 146, starting with as a class of alcoholics, going through four paragraphs, ending with on page 147, um, has been well discharged already. Who else would like to share? Erin from North of Boston. Erin. Anyone else? All right, we'll start with these three, Barbara E., Linda D., and Erin. Go ahead, Barbara. Good morning, everyone. This is Barbara E. Can I be heard? Yes. Oh, good, good. Sometimes I'm on mute, and that's probably a good thing. So thank you so much for Julie and everyone who shared and will be sharing. Wow, when I first got abstinent and in OA over two decades ago, I wanted to jump into the deep end of the pool before really learning how to swim. I had to learn, I had to be beaten down and learn that being abstinent and being thin isn't the be all and end all. But once I truly understood that, and I did it a lot, as I worked through the steps and I calmed myself down because I do have the desire to blanket the earth and nobody can do that, certainly not me. I I get this calmness and this moderation through prayer and yes, meditation. It helps to quiet my mind. When I started taking sponsees through the big book, I was nervous. I was very fearful of being inadequate, of not being enough, and I didn't want that to be. I did not realize that I was just a guide. I wasn't meant to be their God or their Savior. If I could plant a seed, that was all enough. Now, I think I'm going to mention the paragraph that references if a sponsee stumbles, if it's a pattern. I must let her go. That will be heartbreaking, but there'll be someone else out there desperate enough to want to recover, and perhaps I can help that person. I have no obligation to keep the person who is struggling repeatedly on. It's heartbreaking, but I have to trust that when the student is ready, the teacher will come. For me, it was yet another example of just ego reduction. I had to accept that I'm not the be-all and end-all. I had to fully accept that my higher power was what was guiding my life and the lives of others. And I had no control of it. I can't slack off my personal inventory. I can't rationalize that the harms that I may do today in terms of being withdrawing or negative are justified by other people's behavior. I have to become willing to see that I do have character defects that need removing every single day. I go to sleep and say, thank you, God, for another day of abstinence. And I wake up today a compulsive overeater again. And you are more abstinent than I am if you got up earlier than I did. Have a good day, everyone. 
Thank you, Barbara E. Linda D., you're next, followed by Erin. Good morning. It's Linda D. from Connecticut. I laughed. Oh, and I should say, I want to say, I am so grateful to be a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I laughed when I read this um, or heard this for the first time. We're energetic people. The modern way to say that is we're wired. And I've made all the mistakes that people have made. Uh, I've been in OA a really long time, and I'm only um, recovered not quite five years if I watch my step. And the reason I'm saying watch my step is I can overdo anything. And it says right here uh, we're trying to make good. And to me, uh, at the moment, it means... uh, Watch out for that I'm not good enough stuff. And now I've got to do it, and I've got to do it all, and I'm responsible for all of it, and all of that stuff that comes out of hating who I am. And um, that, because that's what the disease came down to for me. I didn't know it, but I know it now. And um, I don't hate who I am. And I have to be, I love who I am, but I have to um, protect who I am in the sense of that prayer that's in the book earlier about asking God to show you what your next step is to be. I have to do that literally every day, or I will try to create balance in a world that's pretty nuts and... um, I really can only have the rhythm that was talked about by asking God what to do next. That's when that rhythm shows up, and I'm an instrument of peace because that's what I'm living. Thanks, and I pass. Thank you, Linda D. And Erin, you are next. Hi, I'm Erin, and I'm um, an anorexic and bulimic, and um, I like that, too, the part about being energetic and um, work hard and play hard. And uh, I've been sober for 20 years, and so for as an I've been an employer and an employee, and so when I've had people that work for me that I knew were had issues with alcohol, it's easier for me to talk to them about it because I come from that um, place. Um, so um, uh, um, I don't know why I always get nervous when I share, but. Um, but when my own eating disorder got so bad that um, I turn, I, I become skeletal, and my boss came to me and said, um, uh, well, first of all, I'm a perfectionist, so I'm the one who works 16 hours a day. And prior to that, he came to me and he said, Aaron, um, the people that work for you, your staff, are coming to me and saying, they are, they don't like to they're embarrassed to leave they don't want to walk by your office because you're there so much they they feel guilty leaving you need to go home there were times where I slept there um, and so I was like that in college as well too I got my degree in occupational therapy and I would be at the one arguing for the, you know I got a 98 I deserved a hundred and I've been like that since I was a child I've been you know I'm just um, I think it was a way of escaping the alcoholic um, food addiction house that I lived in, and we were the people that stuck out like a sore thumb in the neighborhood. We were the poorest. Um, we were in a white-collar neighborhood, and we were blue-collar. And so, um, 
And so I've always been, you know, someone that um, I'm fine, even when, you know, the, it's like in the big book when the person comes up and says, like, ain't nothing wrong here, Ma, when there's tornadoes blowing everywhere. So I can, have, I can be in the worst condition and I say, I'm fine, I'm fine. And um, even when I, um, I, my boss came to me and said, you need to go, you need to pack your bag and go to the hospital, I said, I'm going to tie up all the loose ends first. He said, no, get your pocketbook and go. And I got to the, 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 the hospital, and they said, oh, we'll put you in a wheelchair and drive. I said, no, I'll walk. I refuse a wheelchair. I don't want anybody to see me going in a wheelchair. Uh, I was w- walking with my suitcase, and w- while I was walking, I passed out and fell over my suitcase. Um, and, and, and then they had to put me in a, a suitcase, in a, in a wheelchair. But, um, I also went and saw a dietitian at one point and I had a new balance cap on my head that said achieve. And she said, I don't want to knock that cap right off your head, Erin. It's, it's, you're st- you, you need to stop this business of, uh, you know, always wanting to, to, to be the best at everything. And my boss, um, too, uh, he was the owner of the company and he said to me, Erin, you, um, you need to stop. You need to not just. You, you need to stop trying to be the best and just do your best. Um, and you know, also as an occupational therapist, I used to love working with the patients. You know, I worked on a neuro unit and I worked with patients that were quadriplegics. And I took them to Boston and to teach them how to use touch pads and everything. And I always ended up being in administration, which, which I didn't really want to do, but it's just because I was so. Um, uh, overly organized that people kept promoting me to be, you know, I ended up being an administrator of a nursing facility and I didn't really want to be there. I didn't like it. I liked working with the patients. And um, uh, did you say time? I did, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, and I'll just say that um, that um, I, um, uh, I'll just say um well, all right, I'll just end there and just say that I'm, I'm grateful to be listening to, to you all. Thank you, everybody, for sharing. Thank you, Erin, so much. I am going to sneak in for a small share to we are recovered compulsive overeater. You know, and this tells, you know, kind of my story. You know, once I got out of relapse, um, I've always worked 12-plus hours in relapse or out of relapse. That didn't matter. Um, but... I wanted to do as much as I could for the still suffering compulsive overeater. I was sponsoring, you know, six people taking, you know, 20 phone calls a day. And, you know, it was just because I, I, I needed to, um, cause I wanted to be helpful, but then comes, you know, life, you know, we get this balance, right? I need to be there for the still suffering compulsive overeater but I also need to be there for my family and my job, et cetera. Um, and, but this one paragraph, an alcoholic who has recovered but holds a relatively unimportant job can talk to a man with a better position. We don't have any separation of class here. I mean, I sponsor uh, somebody who's in the medical field. I sponsor somebody who is a stay-at-home mom. I have sponsored lawyers. I have sponsored homeless people. It doesn't matter because we are talking about you know, how to gain that power, how to change, how to have that transformation. Um, On page 147, if he is conscientiously following the program of recovery, he can go anywhere your business may call him. I used to say, oh, the most important thing in my life without exception is abstinence. That's what I was taught when I came into the rooms in 1981. 
when somebody asks me how my program is, I have to stop and think, you know, what is the most important thing in my life today is my relationship with my creator because that's what this whole process is supposed to do for me to bring me to a relationship with the God that is more powerful than anything. And if I follow the principles in this book, I am not going to be overeating. My character defects are going to change. I am going to be free. So, yeah, you know, what's the most important thing in my life without exception is my relationship with my creator because then food is neutral. Then my life is balanced. I'm not living in the bedevilment. And it all starts with me working with others, right, after I have become recovered, working with others and having good sponsorship. Um, you know, we don't have to do anything different that's not in this book, and it is so clear. And with that, I pass. Who would like to share on the paragraph that we read, uh, starting with page 146 as a class, Alcoholics? Michelle F. Energetic. Michelle F. Okay, I think... Um, we only we're gonna have to take like a minute and a half a piece. So Michelle don't, and Russ, don't worry about it. Let Michelle share. We're fine. Don't worry about it. Well, let's see what happens. Go ahead, Michelle. Hi, I'm Michelle from Central Mass. Excuse me, and I am not an energetic person. Well, that's not true. Once I came out of the food fog, I was a nervously energetic person, and I I can still be that. I think I was even that before recovery, so I take that back. Um, But um, I was not the kind of person who had any boundaries. So when I read this, I wince and I think about my one time trying to be a sponsor to this person who is really, really needy. I got multiple calls a day. And I was trying to be in the woods with my daughter at Girl Scouts, and I got a call. And, of course, I'm so important that I have to take the call in the middle of the woods. And I don't go far enough away so everyone can hear what I'm trying to say to the person. And, you know, uh, it it got to be ridiculous. I had no boundaries. I would take a call any day, any time, anywhere. And I found that the more I answered, the more the person called. And so I had to set healthy boundaries with this sponsee. And I just, I read her the brochure from AA about sponsorship. And then I set some boundaries and she said, then I think I need another sponsor. But that was the first time that I realized, you know, you can't be all things to all people. And this is really not about you. Um, So I'm nervous to sponsor again, but I'm hoping I will do a better job when that time comes. And uh, with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle F. Russ M., you want to shoot for a little over a minute? Okay. I'll try That energetic person that we're hammering at, we want to be on. Yes, I was a maniac, burning the candle, candle at both ends, and uh, it just destroyed a lot of things. And, uh, you know, I only had really one boss in my life. It was my dad. And he, he was <laughs> he was so compassionate with me, but he wasn't afraid to put, kick me in the pants. Um, that thing about being discharged, um, you know, some employers have to do that. And uh, I'm grateful to my my uh, bosses here today, you know, that 
they bear with me. So it's really that's all I got to say. It's a uh, that balance is key. It's key. And uh, now I realize uh, that I actually have a lot of good things going on, especially with my family now that I can be present with them. So, all right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jules. Thanks, Russ. It is now time to close our meeting. The share ID for today, Wednesday, October 24th, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting is 12,094. I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Jen A. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggested only. Good morning, Jen A. Recovered in Colorado. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.